Trump gave all these interviews because it was the 100-day thing. Well, that's, that's why he spent several million dollars on television commercials saying that 100 days was not a big deal, but in spite of that, he had been the most successful president ever. <laughs> I, love, I love spending a bunch of money on ads that say something is not a big deal. <laughs> all right, um, welcome to Sanity Jack, a podcast devoted to staying informed and sane in the time of Trump. I am Ben, and I'm joined today by Mike and Andrew. Hey. We are, we are recording on the evening of Wednesday, May 3rd, 2017. Today is day 104 of The Resistance. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. All right, so let's get right into our uh, best and worst of the week. So the worst of the week... Um... There was a kid who got shot to death by cops for no reason. His name was Jordan Edwards. He was 15 years old, and he is now dead because these police, or this one police officer, uh, shot him. I think you've him. left out his probably most important attribute in this horrible instance. That he was an up-and-coming football player? I mean, I hate to, you know, he's black, and I feel like... That, that, was, his, that was his big mistake. I don't like to put it in those terms. I think um, this was in a suburb of Dallas. This black kid uh, was leaving a party, and cops had shown up because they'd been called. And this cop shot a rifle into the car as it was driving away, and it killed this kid. You know, it's like, I don't know. We just keep doing this, so I, I don't have anything more to really... I don't have anything smart to say about it, but that was clearly the worst thing of the week to me. Um it's hard to transition right really into the terrible. best thing of the, you know, it, it sort of. And do you have a worst thing that we can go to, to, so it's not like. No, that's what I'm stuck on. Oh, um, do you want me to give a worst, Mike? I can. No, I can get to my best. So I mean, um, there's a. My best has to do with probably my favorite reporter who works in the White House, April Ryan, who's had to deal with Trump. Uh, Trump and Sean Spicer both being really racist and horrible to her, and um, she was honored this week by Don't the... shake your head while you're talking, Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, exactly. And I'll set up a meeting with Stop. the Congressional yeah. Black Caucus for you. Stop shaking of course, your head. All black people know each other, obviously. And so, that was... And, and goddamn, that was so racist and sexist. Um, but the National Association of Black Journalists announced that um, she has been named the organization's 2017 Journalist of the Year. So it's a small thing, but it was nice to see Good her getting her. some recognition for, you know, her work, since she has to deal with such a gross situation all the time. Um, my worst of the week, um, which we will certainly get into in more detail, is that it is looking like the House GOP might actually pass the latest version of the AHCA, um, which is really awful. And uh, I said we'll get more into that in a little bit. Um, my best of the week is the announcement by Ileana Rosletinen um, in South Florida uh, that she is going to be retiring. So she is the uh, was the first Cuban American member of the Congress. Um, she, I think she's been in Congress for something like 30, 35 years. Um, and, um, you know, I th her retirement is clearly the first of one of these. This district is going to be really much in play in 2018, and so I'm going to retire before that happens. And so I consider that to be good news and the start of hopefully a good trend. Andrew, what do you got? Um, I'm going to sort of piggyback on your worst I, I just because i think that the ahca is the is like really the bad the worst thing of the week hey i'll let you go first <laughs> um, don't shake your head i mean it is really bad that's it's, you know it's it really is, bad it and is i bad. i you know i it's been sort of a big um uh yeah, I gotta read more. <laughs> it's this bad. Is, it's good radio, right? And I'm here. compelling. Yeah. Um, my best yeah. of the week is that um, some researchers were able to cure nearly uh, a mouse that they had given 
uh, HIV to um, using a new gene editing technology called CRISPR. Um, it's not 100%. It's not in humans. There's a lot of sort of caveats. It's still just a step on the way, but it's a really exciting step. Uh, it really opens, it, it demonstrates that the door is open to um, a lot of things that we can do in medicine um, with some of these new technologies that have come up. CRISPR foremost among them. It's very exciting. So that was really your worst, Andrew, was that you don't read enough? Uh, <laughs> that is that is the worst thing that happened this week. <laughs> I mean, uh, as we've talked about previously, <laughs> at least you can read, unlike Trump. Right. But I think the AHCA really is the big story. Yeah, so, I mean, we as we're, we were recording, um, there was some, some breaking news on this. Um, Mike, I think you've, you had that. Yeah, well, up. so, I mean, the big question, they tried to pass the health care repeal and replace a couple weeks ago, and it was it was just like a miserable failure for the Republicans on every level, and it made them look like morons, and it was, it was, it was great. It was pretty glorious. Yeah. Um, but I get, and I thought that they would give up, and so instead of giving up, they, they apparently are trying to make some progress again in taking away health care from people who need it. I was going to say progress is an interesting word to choose. It's more like regress. They're trying to, well, I mean, they hate poor people and want them to die. They're Republicans. So um, I guess the big question, though, is it's the same as it has been the whole time. Can they create a bill that will attract enough of their hardline Freedom Caucus people while also attracting enough of their moderate people, and moderate more in the sense of in difficult districts for re-election, um, you know, districts where it could be a problem for them to vote to take away people's health insurance. Um, and I guess it, the most recent effort they've made on this front is to add five, $8 billion over five years for states to subsidize high-risk insurance pools for people with pre-existing conditions. And so they've they've added that as like a sweetener that'll attract some moderates. And as of 7 p.m. tonight, May 3rd, uh, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy was saying that they're going to bring the vote, they're going to bring it to the floor for a vote tomorrow, May 4th. Uh, and he said, the quote is, I think we have enough votes. So, and it is, they wouldn't bring it to the floor if they weren't confident of having enough votes. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we should go over again the timeline a little bit. Uh, so, we had the horrific American Health Care Act that went down in flames, as you mentioned, a few weeks ago. That um, was the one where it had a whole, like, a huge section on what to do if people on Medicaid won the lottery. Right, right. And the um, CBO scored it such that, like, 26 million people would lose health insurance, and um, it, was, it would just be a complete disaster. So I think it's, we should be clear here that in order to make it more palatable to the House Freedom Caucus they actually had to make the bill even more regressive and horrible than it was previously. So that means that they took away even more protections for people. Um, they basically made it completely optional for states to cover pre-existing conditions and um, essential health benefits like maternity coverage and um, primary care visits and things like that. Um, and they made it optional for states to even opt into subsidies for uh, Affordable Care Act marketplaces um, and other similar atrocities. Um, and then this $8 billion uh, infusion that, that Mike mentioned. feels to me like a remarkably tiny amount of money. It, it is. So, Which, the $8 billion? Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about over... The course of a year, these high-risk pools, which I'll get into in a minute, could cost you know a hundred, two hundred billion dollars. So eight billion dollars is like a tiny drop in the uh, in the, the pond. Um, it, it it exists purely to give cover to moderates who can say, oh yeah, we do have a plan. Uh, we are doing something to cover people who have pre-existing conditions. Um, because what they're doing is they're not saying explicitly, oh, yeah, forget about people with pre-existing conditions. They're saying 
that insurance companies don't have to use community ratings in order to uh, price people with pre-existing conditions, that they can charge them whatever they want, and then they're going to lump them into, as Mike mentioned, these high-risk pools. And we should be very clear about those. High-risk pools do not work in healthcare. Um, uh, the idea of high-risk pools is that you have different insurance rates for people who are at low risk and for people who are at high risk. The problem with people who are at high risk for health problems is they tend to have health problems and there's never enough money in high-risk health pools to actually pay for it. And those people have to pay inordinate amounts of money in in the first place. It's not a self-sustaining system. And $8 billion is not going to uh, cut it in the slightest. Um, and five years is also a, a very short amount of time. And it's I guess it's yeah. halfway. Would that get them through the 2022 midterms, something like that? And then after no, that, they can... De depends on when they were actually able to start it. Right. I mean, right. I, I think if that I were them, I'd be a lot more worried about the 2018 midterms. Yeah, I mean, I, they're they're uh, boxed in a bit on the length of these types of things by um, the reconciliation process, and um, when they, particularly when they add money on to things, um, they they can really do it for only up to 10 years, like the Bush tax cuts, um, and so on. Um, but yeah, as Mike says, the, the million-dollar question here is how does this affect the 2018 midterms? And I, I, well, my, I, hmm, what, like, well, Mike, what do you think is going to happen now? I mean, it's, if, if they pass this monstrosity tomorrow in the House yeah. without a single Democratic vote, it's well, go obviously to the without a single, they're not going to. You can't get Democrats to vote. No, of course not. No. But, but yeah, for me, that's the million-dollar question. Is <laughs> I mean, in a way, you could just phrase it as, what does Susan Collins think? You know, like what's going to happen? Say they pass this nightmare, it goes to the Senate, and the picture in the Senate is very different from the picture in the House in terms of whether they would have enough votes. The I guess my the big fear would be that the Senate would make some alterations to get it to a point where it was acceptable to the Senate, and then send it back to the House, and then they could vote. You know, in other words, viewing the House bill as the opening most extreme thing they can send to the Senate and then have the Senate water it down such that they can pass it. And then... Well, it certainly becomes a negotiation at that point between the House and Senate um, GOP conferences. I guess the question yeah. is, can they come to an agreement on something that they both find acceptable? Yeah, that is the big question. You know, I think procedurally, if the Senate passes something and sends it back to the House, there's a huge pressure on the Freedom Caucus and the other Republican factions in the House to pass that. You know, they, they would have no opportunity. They couldn't change it. It would just be the Senate saying, here's the best we can do. Well, they can, and then it would go back to well, the Senate Well, yeah, again. but I mean, right, they could theoretically do that over and over. But uh, you know, it would it would change the picture. I don't know. It's it's it seems sort of eerily plausible to me that something could come out of this that would pass both. Probably not in the form that it is currently. I don't see. Well, and then there's you know the Senate is a complicated place. If it doesn't impact the deficit, which I don't think it does, they would need sixty votes, and I don't see them getting anything. I don't and see they're Mitch not going to get eight. Has, has already said that he will not. Use the nuclear option. On no, he list. he understands that that is a huge. On average, the filibuster helps Republicans more than Democrats. Right now, they're in a situation. You know, it, it would be. McConnell's not stupid. He's not going to get rid of the filibuster right now, even if it would be advantageous. Plus, I don't really think there's that many Republicans in the Senate who are excited to do this. They have to win elections statewide rather than in these particular districts that might be very conservative. And, a, you know, a bill that takes away people's health insurance is difficult. To, you know, the attack ads write themselves. You, you can, you know, the stories of you being the deciding vote on, you know, someone's, someone's like family member died because they didn't have insurance and, and that's your fault. You know, these are, these are potent, real it's been consequences. To me, though, that there has been um, 
little to no condemnation of the bill from Republican senators like there was a few weeks ago? Yeah, uh, this has been really interesting because I th- I sort of thought this battle we've like we fought the battle and won it and then I think everybody kind of moved on except it turns out everyone didn't move on. The house kind of kept working on it. Which well, they, I mean they didn't they didn't, they didn't do very work much. particularly hard. No, but they I don't know. I I don't really understand what their thinking is because politically this seems like a tr- Ter- train a terrible wreck idea. for them. Um, I don't really understand it. But so you asked me what I thought would happen. I mean, if I had to place a bet on a particular outcome, I would bet that they just barely pass this out of the House, and then it dies in the Senate. Either, either just the Senate doesn't do anything with it and it just dies, or the Senate sends them back something that's totally unpalatable to the Freedom Caucus, which then never gets voted on in the House on account of and its being unacceptable. Now, if that happens, that is way politically worse for the Republicans than if they don't pass something. In the well, that's what I don't understand, because I really don't see the scenario where it passes the Senate. And that means that all these House members who are going to vote on it, all they... So they'll have, like, all the worst possible things. They will have voted to take everyone's health care away, and they will have failed to have any success with their bill. So they're like... <laughs> it just would be a really bad look for anyone running for re-election. Um, but they seem to feel this intense pressure to do something, and and they so they keep trying to do something. I, this is what I'm I'm so mystified. I mean, it, it seems like there's they're showing more loyalty to their caucus than to even their own reelection chances, which is bizarre to me. Uh, I mean, Paul Ryan, the first AHCA attempt he essentially admitted that they don't know how to run government anymore like that the republicans had been out of power and they had i don't remember exactly the euphemism he used but the message was they don't know how to do this and they're (laughs) they're like not good at it and they don't have any good ideas or for how to do anything and i think what we're seeing here is you know it makes them look like morons not to do anything and they have to go back and face these town halls and all that and so the only thing they've all consistently the only thing that unites them is that they hate Obama and he's gone but some of the stuff he did is still left and so it's sort of staving off the crisis in their party to keep rallying around these old things that united them like how bad Obamacare is yeah i mean i i, I guess that's really the only explanation but i mean take well that and it. that they hate poor people and they want them to die as always a republican right. well, there, i mean that's the thing that. Because especially, uh, like, if the poor people are, like, not white. Yeah. Yeah. And female, to boot. Well, they um, can't die. They just need to do what they're told. No, dying is is more than acceptable, I think. I, I feel like you could make an empirical claim that over the last ten years, Republicans have been the party that wants poor people to die. To and or leave the country. Well, that was self-deport. Yeah, just yeah. to stop, st- stop bothering them. <laughs> like, yeah. go, like go. As long as they are not living in the United States, one way or the other, that's like their their number one. Outcome. Well, and also they're free to be rich. If they would just be rich, Republicans would want to take care of them and would want to help them with all their issues. Well, because then they could give them some money. Yeah, ideally that. But uh, it's funny. Republicans are really they really like rich people and they think they're better than everyone else. But just like to get back to the. What is the strategical thinking? I have no idea. You know, so a guy like Daryl Issa, who who's going to lose re-election no matter, pretty right. much no matter what he does. Right, but if he votes yes on this horrible bill tomorrow, which by all accounts he's kind of planning on doing, um, there's I I cannot imagine a scenario where he would get re-elected in California. It's already difficult to reimagine. And it's interesting. I wonder if you you might be... Maybe there are enough people whose re-election is already in danger that they're sort of thinking they'll have to find something else to do anyway, and so why not be loyal? It's like a fuck you on the way out? I don't know if it's like that. No, it's getting a connection for the next gig. 
But it's then, doing but then something I thought that too. But who, no anyway. financial interest wants this. To, insurance companies don't like this. It, it, it's mm. unbelievable. This has been the most uniting issue for corporate America. Like insurance companies, hospitals, medical groups, doctors' groups. Every single group has come out against the AHCA because it is objectively horrible. Well, an insurance it's going to be it's it's not like it's going to be a big financial win for insurance companies. No. The only thing that would save money, the only entity that would save money is the federal government would save a small amount of money. Which they would then immediately the use to use to finance tax cuts for the super rich. And, so it wouldn't uh, even end up saving anybody any money. You know, they would it would save mil- more military spending. Yeah, right. Yeah. But like I don't see how this lines their pockets at all. Like, if this were the Medicare prescription drug benefit from the W years, absolutely. There's a bunch of companies who love that, and, you know, you could say, hey, I did that for you. But in this case, there's no interest group. No. I just don't see – it's really strange. I just don't see – I don't see why anybody is doing any of it. It doesn't make any sense. The only people who I understand where they're coming from in that they are evil, horrible people are the ultra-pure, conservative, libertarian, Ayn Randian types who have no issue saying that people should just die if they, the can't, problem... if they can't deal with their own health problems. I see why you say that, but the thing is, the way that they're being forced to compromise between the Republican Republicans from more moderate districts and the Freedom Caucus, you know, those are the two sort of polls, but these compromise bills are so much more, like, poorly constructed and terrible. You know, what the Freedom Caucus would ideally like is just to repeal Obamacare, and that's it. But we're not. Do- but this bill doesn't do that. This bill kind of leaves some of it in place, but sabotages it and damages it and ruins its ability to function. It's possible it would actually be better to just repeal Obamacare than to do this to it. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's hard to compare, know. right? We don't even have the CBO scoring. We don't, you know, there's there's not a lot of information, but. It was part of a Republican, the Republican platform during the election, as a note that um, all legislation would have to be made public for three days before they would vote on it. You know, in the interest of transparency and being the party of the people. Um, so, so much for that. Um, I mean, so, they're, so they're, they're terrible me think, hypocrites. Is there is there a longer game? Is there a who's the beneficiary once it does fall apart? The I, there's no answer to that question. I yeah, I mean, like I, I'm not sure I agree with that, Ben, but I mean, Andrew, I really am not sure I think anybody is m- making those strategic plans. I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how anyone's thinking, you know, this is going to be our first step towards popularity. You know, I don't think so. Um it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not true to their principles as stated. It won't work. So it, I don't see what the upside is for anybody. Paul Ryan it, gets I a mean, little I, bit I of guess, upside because he finally gets something done. I guess what I'm envisioning is a, a longer-term situation where this creates a bunch of chaos, and the people who are prepared to step into a chaotic healthcare market and make something of it are rich people. I, I sure I see what you're saying, but that goes back to insurance companies do not seem exce- right. You're, so the people you identify, you said who, people who would be see this as a business opportunity, that would be insurance companies would be the people I would look at for that. But they're not like excited about this at all. Would get paid by insurance companies, like medical device companies right. and drug companies, and so it on. It doesn't. I mean, what, all of these groups of people who make money, the the way Obamacare was constructed in the first place substantially bought them off by subsidize by saying everybody has to buy insurance and we will subsidize it. So would it, so it creates this huge market that is supported by government funding. I don't really see how you, this does not seem like a better offer than that. Like if that's, uh, what's on yeah, offer I'm, on the one hand and then the other yeah. hand is total chaos. The obvious outcome is that the insurance companies will essentially all pull out of the private individual insurance market yes um because it 
is not economically sustainable and they will only provide insurance in employer plans. Well, and if they don't, they really don't like an environment where they don't know what the conditions will be in the future. And Trump has already created a lot of uncertainty. You know, and if you're an insurance company and you can't be sure what's going to happen, what the rules will be. It's hysteria. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's not, it's just difficult to make a business plan. You know, it's, it's, that's all. It's difficult to make a plan that you are confident will be a good plan. Well, also, um, you know, if you're in the business of insuring people and you're entering into an environment where people are sicker, um, that's not a good environment for you. Yeah. And then, so basically, in this scenario you guys are laying out, we'll go back to how we used to handle. We've always had universal insurance by certain methods that that allowed us to pretend we didn't, and those are you can go to the emergency room, and you know, so it's like if you need medical care but you can't, you don't have insurance, it just has to get bad enough that you have to go to a hospital for treatment, and then it'll be covered fully. And the whole reason we did all this in the first place is that's a very expensive and stupid way to do health insurance. Well, it's, and it's, it's actually going to be even a worse version of that because you're going to have potentially a larger population of people forced to do that um, as the insurance companies pull out of the individual insurance market. Yep. Uh, because you're going to have people who are self-employed who are, or who have jobs that um, – that don't provide them with insurance or who are unemployed or between jobs and are purchasing normally would be purchasing their own insurance who are unable to obtain insurance, even though they otherwise would be able to pay for it. Um, this is so perplexing to me. I, you know, I'm trying to like think, how can we tie it all together? Which is bizarre. There's just no, the insurance companies don't like this. Doctors don't like it. Hospitals don't like it. Probably, you'll probably see a run on um, paper marriages, honestly. Uh, well, among well, and also from what I read, you know, this is such a shoddily and hastily constructed bill. If like if it leaves the mandate in place and it leaves the subsidies in place, but it changes the definition of what constitutes health insurance, you could see some really nutso outcomes. You know, because I don't know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not well thought out. It won't accomplish. <laughs> it's funny in a way it's like i can't even predict what the world will be like in a year if they do this and i don't think they can think either can. Yeah. it seems uh, this was so the only explanation i can imagine is that this is the only thing that unites them is that they want to take apart obama's legacy though the it would be helpful at least if they waited for the congressional budget office to take a stab Helpful to who? I doubt that would help them. It it would be helpful to the world. (laughs) Um, But again, they're being unbelievably irresponsible and are going to apparently try to vote for this without Congressional Budget Office scoring, um, which is particularly ironic coming from the party that is supposed to represent fiscal responsibility. So I want to close this segment of the show by each of us predicting what we think is going to happen, like in really brief terms. I'll go first. Okay. I think they're going to pass some gross monstrosity out of the House tomorrow, and then I think the Senate is going to make revisions to it. Um, specifically, I think they're going to find some way to make it possible to buy insurance across state lines and then make a bunch of other alterations to to sort of blunt a lot of the terrible stuff in the House bill. And then I think they'll probably gimmick it through by passing it through reconciliation um then it'll go back to the house and i think it'll pass the house too and i think it'll become law and we're going to detonate the aca and see and sort of see what happens that's what i think is going to happen do you want to take a stab at the 2018 prediction in concert with that 2018 you mean you mean what the what will happen in the elections of 2018 what what would be the political ramifications i think the political ramifications are that they'll be polling so badly trump will declare a state of emergency and suspend elections okay all right we've got mike's prediction andrew you're up i don't know if i can follow that that's uh that's a lot to follow um that is a lot to follow i guess i you can also just say think, that you think that's what <laughs> i guess i also think that Probably some sort of horrible Frankenstein thing will get passed eventually. Um, 
and I think it's going to be bad in all aspects. Um, I'm certainly aware that people are talking about things Trump might do that are outside of the realm of the normal. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there yet, but it's on the table. I'm, I guess I'm going to be a little bit contrarian. Um, I, I don't think they're going to uh, vote on it tomorrow. Well, I mean, that's the conventional wisdom is just like if we could get like uh, some sort of average reporter. The conventional wisdom is that they will, they either will fail to vote it out of the house, or they will barely vote it out of the house, and then it will not go anywhere, and it will be be an abandoned effort. I think sounds like gonna... the pre-election conventional wisdom. Mm. <laughs> I roll from Mike. I, 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 yeah. So I, I, I think they're not going to vote on it tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, if they do, it'll just barely pass. I mean, they, they, they can get twenty-two no's. Um, I, and I guess if it does barely pass, um, the you know, as we mentioned before, the attack ads are going to write themselves. The, the left is going to go fucking nuts if they pass something tomorrow. I mean, uh, we're all going to be marching in the streets. Uh, The amount of money that is going to start pouring in to election campaigns that don't even exist yet is going to be be mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, And I think that uh, assuming that there is a 2018 midterm election, I think the Democrats would regain control of the House fairly convincingly. What do you think that does for the prospects of single-payer health care? Well, it's dead until there's a uh, certainly a Democratic president. I, 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 I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I, I, you know, single-payer is still the goal, um, but it's not the short-term goal. The short-term goal at the moment isn't preventing this catastrophe from happening. Well, there's two paths to single-payer that I see. There's several, but the two big ones are... Add, add a public option to the ACA and grow it from there. That's the, that's that's sort the of, incremental approach. Yeah. And then right, there's the heighten the contradictions approach where you, where you would see a scenario where like Republicans blow up the whole health insurance system. You know, it's like Republicans possessed by their demonic hatred of all poor people destroy the health insurance system out of spite. And then in the wreckage, we just get a chance to build a new single-payer healthcare system, sort of That's occasioned what we by just the outrage, described, isn't it? No. Well, we described the first part, but the problem, as with all heightened the contradictions st- style of plans, a whole bunch of people people have to suffer really badly oh, in the middle. No one's there. No one's promoting this plan. I'm just I'm trying to. Look no, at I know, but I think books. it would be better for right now. I would prefer. Not I think we're still in. <laughs> I think we're still in scenario one right now. I've been in favor of an incremental approach all, all along. I haven't. Uh, I know. I know. But I think you I know will, politically, I, I, it would be very difficult to just go single payer. And even you know, even if yeah. they pass this bill, the United States still has all these huge insurance companies. You know, there's all these existing pieces of yeah. infrastructure that support not, not the to current. Rehash Obamacare getting passed in the first place, but getting Obamacare kept passed in the first place was extremely difficult um and i think that is the argument for an incremental approach in and of itself there's a good segue there too are we are we going to the budget thing because yeah, we could do so, in other stories of nancy pelosi being the most underrated and effective yeah. caucus leader in the house recent history well i hope she's got an, another uh, run as speaker in her right that, uh, yeah me too starting in 2018 but um, in the meantime, she can still be effective um, because uh, due to the fractious nature of the Republican caucus, they are still pretty dependent on Democratic votes to get a lot of stuff done, um, particularly in the House. So um, one of the things that needs to happen every year is the bills need to get paid or the lights turn off in the government. Um, and so that was going to happen next week. And so first, there was a one-week emergency um, 
thing that was passed. And that's how you know your really well run governments are the ones yeah. that do their budget yeah. resolutions weekly, <laughs> week to week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, but more recently, um, the House passed a spending measure to keep the government funded uh, through September which is a slightly longer term, I suppose. So much closer to a, the full year than one week. Yeah. Um, but what was most interesting about this were the threats that were coming out of the White House as, as the spending deadline was coming up. So President Trump, um, I hate using those words together, but Donald Trump and Sean Spicy were screaming about how there would be no budget deal um, without payment for this stupid border wall um, with Mexico. Specifically, they were trying to hold the Obamacare subsidies hostage. And so Mick Mulvaney was going around saying that they, there would be $1 of subsidies for every $1 spent on the wall. And that was that. Um, you know, Trump also promised there would be defunding of Planned Parenthood, there would be defunding of sanctuary cities that uh, kept, you know, harbored these horrible... Which is like all the big cities. Yeah, basically. Um, There were all the proposed budget cuts that Trump had made when he first came into office. You know, the NEH, uh, NEA, uh, NIH, um, PBS. All the... He hates three-letter organizations. um, Et cetera, et cetera. So they passed this bill to do spending until September. There were a couple of things that Trump liked, namely increased military spending. Um, But lo and behold, without much fanfare, the EPA's budget is being cut 1%. There is not a single dollar that is allocated for that stupid border wall. There is not a single dollar in cuts to Affordable Care Act subsidies. The NIH is actually getting a $2 billion budget increase there is not a single dollar of defunding to Planned Parenthood, and there is not a single dollar of defunding to sanctuary cities. Um, the NEH, the NEA, PBS, they're all being funded at their, um, at their current levels. Uh, so the Democrats, to me, it seems they did oddly well here. I don't think it's that odd, but they did do well for a party that controls no power in any of the branches of government they made up very well (laughs) well so why don't you think that's odd nancy pelosi is about 50 times the legislator that paul ryan is is why i don't think it's odd um you think she just held his balls to the fire no i mean trump you mentioned all the things trump promised slash threatened but more and more it's becoming clear to to everybody that people just ignoring him well, he's bluffing. He always bluffs. Everything he says is a bluff, and he he doesn't care. He doesn't care enough to follow through or even necessarily understand what ended up actually happening. You know, I, I doubt he could describe what's in the budget in even the most general terms, and I'm sure he doesn't care about it. So, given that, Republicans and Democrats just had to work out something that could keep the, you know, like you said, keep the lights on, and they were able to... You know, they didn't. They were found common ground in the sense that they were both willing to spend money on their priorities. So you know, we didn't we didn't fund this stupid wall, but we did do some border enforcement stuff, yeah. and the, there was some military stuff, I believe, in there. Um, and then we got some science stuff: the Joe Biden cancer moonshot, the NIH funding, um, EPA's funding was not didn't get the consequences that Trump had threatened. Um, so it's all pretty routine. I mean, it's funny. It's sort of like, you know, web page. what's that? They did remove the climate change web page. Well, that's no, but that wasn't the, that the bill, the, the spending bill that yeah. didn't, that passed the house had nothing to do with that. That is true. So in terms of the funding levels, it was, it was fine. I mean, and it just shows me that Trump's, the things Trump threatened, the actual Republican legislators didn't appear to have the interest in making a fight out of it. They just wanted to pass a bill and not have a big dramatic confrontation. Well, and so yeah. Nancy Pelosi was like, well, I'll be glad to supply you some votes if you, and then here's what we need from you. And the Republicans looked and they were like, eh, fine. Okay. Well, yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, I totally buy that that's what happened. It's just that, you know, as you mentioned, 
the Republicans control fairly significantly every branch of government. And so if they really wanted as a group to... But that's what I'm saying. They don't things. want to. They don't... Yeah. It doesn't... It's Dick Cheney was the guy who said deficits don't matter. It, you know, the the fiscal rectitude part of the Republican Party, there isn't there isn't one. That part isn't doesn't exist. And the only thing they care about is cutting taxes on rich people and killing or immiserating poor people as much as possible. And so, you know, this was just this sort unless of they're, unless they're fetuses. Well, this neither furthered nor hindered any of their goals. So they just were neutral about it. And they this allows them to focus on other things getting this taken care of. Plus, I think they shut down the government a bunch of times when they were um, not in unified control of the whole government, and it always was terrible for them. And those were just stunts. Well, they were stunts. Well, no, I mean, they weren't just stunts. They shut down the government. The parks closed. Well, they had negative impacts on actual people, but the shutdowns were stunts in the sense that they were doing it just to try to uh, make a power play on President Obama and... uh, I don't think that they actually gained anything substantive by doing it. Well, so I think, okay, so semantics-wise, I don't understand why you're calling those stunts. But that's not really important because everything else that you said I think is right on, where they, they, they thought it was a tactic that would help them achieve something. It, it didn't help them achieve anything, and it had brutal public opinion consequences for them. And so I think they had no interest in doing that again this time around because it would be even worse because it would be like, so, to recap, you have the president and both houses and you shut down the government because you're morons? Like, there's no way to spin that that it doesn't make them look horrible. So they just didn't, they just didn't have the inclination to make a fight out of it. I call it a stunt simply in the sense that um, President Obama was very unpopular with both Tune in for our special one-hour dissection of what constitutes a stunt. <laughs> Mike is right. That is boring. But wh- one of my favorite aspects of this was after they uh, passed this uh, spending bill for September, President Trump did weigh in. Um, oh, I don't even remember what he said. He, he tweeted that this was a horrible deal and that we, we needed to elect more Republicans in 2018 oh, that's right. or get rid of the legislative filibuster – um, and that we needed a, a quote-unquote good shutdown in yeah. September. I mean, he's free to veto it. Does he not understand how these things work? That's true. He could. I'm sure uh, he does not. No, that was a rhetorical no, he question. Does not. I know he doesn't understand how it works. <laughs> but I mean, I, they didn't. I don't believe they passed Who? it by two-thirds majorities. So this was one of the things that he said on Twitter. Well, another thing that he said on Twitter um, in the last couple of days was he. Um, he took a, a big shot at his own um, head of the FBI. I know. They have such a like hot and cold relationship. Yeah. The illustrious James Comey. Please don't call uh, him that. The show. He's not <laughs> that. Don't be nice to no. him. <laughs> no. Yeah. We, were, we are not fans of, of James Comey. Who Look, he really decided he wanted Trump to be today. president, and that's his business, but we don't have to be nice to him about it. That's not his business. <laughs> He's... He works for the American people. That's, he'll have to live with that. Let's put it like that. He'll well, have to feel nauseous about it. Mildly nauseous. He is yeah. nauseous in the real sense where he makes me feel sick. I was going to say, yeah, he's mild. he sh- meant to say that he was mildly nauseated to get back to our semantics. Yeah, uh, uh, an ongoing series of 45-minute uh, <laughs> definitional discussions. He, in this tweet, Donald was pissed at James Comey. Or so he said. I just, that's like, let's only call him that from now on, please. I don't don't like calling him president. No, but also it's like an homage to Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So Donald is angry at James Comey because of Hillary Clinton, in fact. He's angry because he he likes to relitigate the election over and over again because it's the only success that he's had. Which is a little Um, sad. It's a little sad that people keep talking about the election, as Spicy said. Yes, despite the fact that Trump likes to hand out um, maps of the Electoral College to people who come into the Oval Office. Successfully anyway, was... tipped over to the winning threshold by the ghost of the slave power in an election that he lost by millions in the popular vote, just so we give the clear, full description of what really happened. All right, but they try to get back to finishing this tweet from 10 minutes ago. Um, he is angry that Comey gave 
Hillary a quote-unquote free pass for all of her horrible crimes. Um, and uh, I can't even think of one thing Comey did to to cause her any problems during the election. (laughs) Don't people remember that? Well, he prevented her from the trouble of having to be the president. In a way, that is a nice thing to do for somebody. But (laughs) and then he went on to say that the um, the quote unquote Trump Russia investigation was a made up smokescreen to distract from Trump's. Um, impressive electoral uh, win, and wasn't it possible that Trump had just run a great campaign? Um, it doesn't seem love possible, to analyze, given how it's going now. Uh, I'd love to analyze why Trump feels the need to um, tweet about himself in the third person. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't even know how long the special Trump's psychological situation podcast episode would be. Didn't Blagojevich do that? Didn't he do some? Bob third Dole is the big third person guy. I always Bob think Dole, of. Yeah. But I mean, in addition to it being weird, just weird to criticize your own FBI head, um, it actually really violates a. It doesn't violate the law, but it violates a a real norm. Um, you know, particularly since we know that the FBI has an active counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign slash Trump administration, um, a tweet like this criticizing said investigation can easily be taken as interference in the investigation by Trump himself. That's um, like to me. That's a big normalize, nor, like the you know resist normalizing Trump. The degree to which he just says stuff that's totally inappropriate, even if not officially, like, illegal. Right, well, I mean, to a certain degree, behavior like that is what got Nixon impeached. You know, it was him trying to interfere with the DOJ slash FBI investigation of Watergate and his own involvement in it. Um, And, yeah, as Mike said, it's been... Trump has been normalized to the degree that he's basically, you know, this is Nixonian behavior and people are uh, laughing at it as just a stupid tweet. Well, I mean, you know, think about like, I I can't even think of a good example, but like the president is supposed to maintain an appropriate distance from the functions of the Department of Justice. Yeah. Like, it it would be seen as, it used to, in the old days, eight months ago, it would be seen as a scandal for the president to, like you were saying, specifically criticize the FBI director. And Trump does all kinds of stuff like this. Well, and not just criticize him, but criticize him for an investigation into him. Yeah. Yeah, right, where, I don't know. I don't really have a coherent point here. Trump is a bad president. Yeah, well, it's actually, like, it's a pretty serious thing to do and it's it just is being treated as like another sound well it reminds me of the wiretapped thing you know we're all used to trump making these insane claims but this goes back to what i was saying before i think there's like normalizing trump i'm not sure if it's what's happening is really normalizing or sort of people are just learning to ignore him yeah, because nothing he says Probably makes a little, any sense. A little from column A, yeah. A from column B. Yeah, but like he claimed Obama wiretapped him. It was obviously ridiculous. And like, there's an important point about how a shockingly and disturbingly large proportion of Republicans just believe that that happened now. And there, he may have actually committed a small crime. I mean, that might have been slander. Sure. I mean, I don't see Obama pressing charges against him. No, no. But I mean, yeah, if you say something that you, of course, if you're if you can't know anything, like Trump is not able to know things, then you can't ever lie. You know, slander, you'd have he has to knowingly say something yeah, false. It requires malicious intent. And he he's he's sort of more of like a emotion factory than like a person. Um but but so people are just learning not to take him seriously. And in a way, that's what I'm more, you know, it, it, one of the things about the president of the United States is that, you know, the idea when they talk, people listen. And, you know, they they are when they say they'll do something, they'll do it. When they threaten something, that means something is 
really serious, and people are just learning that the president, basically to ignore the president, because he's just, you know, doing, he's just saying his crazy things that he says. Yeah. Um, This Comey stuff is another thing like that. You know, it's clear that Hillary Clinton did an interview. It seems to have irritated him, or something else happened, who knows, and he decided to go off on Comey. Yeah, so this was, you know, you mentioned Hillary having done an interview, and so this was her first really substantive interview slash discussion since the election. Um, Did you guys have a chance to to take a look at that? I did. Um, It was classic. Well, my first response was that I think the more she can just stay out of the spotlight, the better, not because of anything about her, but because it helps Trump so much to have an opponent like a person he can he 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 it just helps him so much to have her to like for him so he can be a total dick to her yeah i agree i mean i I don't think any of the things that she said were wrong i'm just not sure she's the best messenger for them oh god that's the other thing that's so irritating like the double standard that i remember from the campaign comes back too where it's like she didn't say everything perfectly and so people focus on that. You know, like, she made one comment where she talked about being in rural Pennsylvania where she didn't have cell phone coverage. And she was talking about that in the context of how it would be good to do investment in internet and cellular infrastructure in rural areas. Which is totally benign, like, totally boring, ordinary. Accurate. It's boring. accurate. It, it doesn't, it's, in, it's not controversial. Fact, something that President Obama was making a big push on. Everybody pushes... If you, like, governors with states with a lot of rural areas are into that, it's it's totally non-controversial. But it got picked up in the sense that she was com- complaining about the poor, the difficult conditions in rural areas, and she's an out-of-touch elitist. So, you know, she just can't say anything. You know, it, it's, like, impossible for her to say anything without people just latching onto it and just hating her about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think this is also a big indictment of the political media again. Oh my I mean, God, it, as if they needed more indicting, but yes. I mean, you say, you, you know, you, you've had a sequence of events where the media, in concert with James Comey, um, made an unbelievably huge deal out of her stupid emails and the legally gotten WikiLeaks dumps that were provided by the Russians. Um, and then... Uh, then she lost, which nobody expected, and then the media is now slamming her for not taking more personal responsibility uh, for for the loss. Um, which I don't even know. What does that mean? Like, she lost. She gave a, gave a concession speech and went to her house where she lives. What's she supposed to do? That well, they're they're saying ironically that now she's talking too much about the emails. You know, she, she's saying I don't know how she remains alive under and the then, and then the, the media now is saying she needs to take personal responsibility and stop talking about Comey and the emails, which we wrote about a million times a day for a year and a half. There's some really weird and specific. It, it's like um in crime and punishment, you know, how like like the media knows they did something wrong, but they're going to these great lengths to to avoid uh, acknowledging that or dealing with it. I think some of them don't know. I mean, like, some of them Well, are... I guess in, like, a subconscious way. Like, yeah. there's a feeling. I mean, Chris Saliza wrote about <laughs> he's a fucking a, He's like a grade-A moron. Like, a hundred times. I day. Mean, like some prepo- a day. I mean, some preposterous amount. And he's going on these moralizing rants now about how Hillary needs to shut up and take personal responsibility and look in the mirror and she lost and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it, the hypocrisy is so unbelievable that I, yeah, I don't know how Hillary doesn't go postal on them. Well, I know how. It's because it wouldn't do... It's like I was saying before. I think she's... I mean, oh, goddamn. Tune in for our special four-hour I talk about how I feel about the campaign again for a million years episode. It doesn't matter. But so she gave this interview, and she just mentioned a whole series of, to me, totally 
inoffensive, almost like boringly middle of the road. You know, like she mentioned how the Comey thing hurt her campaign, which it's like, yes, that seems obvious that that happened to me. But uh, I guess it was enough to fire Trump up. Look, it's it's. I think it's pretty simple. Uh, she won the popular election by a fairly significant margin. Or do you she realize lost... we're doing it right? We do every like couple weeks. We fall yeah. into the like no, I know. endless loop. Well, Let's I talk know. about Bernie Sanders. No, I'm kidding. Please don't. <laughs> no, let's, let's well, since Mike and I clearly are not staying sane, since we're relitigating <laughs> the election. Maybe Andrew... that's how I'm doing it. You don't know me. You don't know what yeah, cakes yeah. I've seen. It's true. <laughs> Andrew, how are you staying sane this week? I'm staying sane mostly by looking at Mike's cakes. Come um, on. <laughs> um, this week I'm staying sane by focusing on friends and family. Um, you said that last week. All right, it's fine. No, it wasn't last week. Last week it, it was remains protests. valid. I shouldn't have interrupted you, please. Um, yeah, Andrew still has And it's what I've done. Uh, uh, a, a fr- uh, John... Uh, of the show uh, was in New York and it was great to see him and um, that was very exciting and yeah, hopefully we'll get him back on the show soon there yeah. were no marches this weekend right or there was it was May there Day was. there was the climate change march and it was also May Day um, which in the United States we don't celebrate as Labor Day on purpose because we're tr- <laughs> they tried to be dicks to the international workers movement and we're going to have the upcoming March for Truth. What's the March for Truth? It's in the planning stages. It's a march for telling the truth, which the Trump administration is not good at. So it's a politicized March for Science, which was already politicized anyway. Oh my god. Tune in for our special episode. What is the difference, if any, between science and truth? <laughs> That's a, uh, could be I an almost, interesting episode. Mike and I almost started saying things. I, I would do that episode if we wanted to do it. I think that's really <laughs> interesting. But it's out of scope for the current uh, recording. <laughs> so, so, Mike, how are you staying sane? Um, I don't know. I, I, I actually... <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. That is what you said last week. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a good answer to this question in a long time. Uh, we are losing the fight for the future. Now, we're on day 104, Mike. Uh, yeah. We, we have to resist and persist our way through... How, how many days total is it you figured out? 1,460. 1,400. So Assuming he doesn't, you know, retire early like to just decide he doesn't like it so yeah or win he is making again. his first trip back to new york this weekend it has been fun to read his interviews and think about how stupid he is okay well there you go <laughs> so you've enjoyed that i do enjoy that because it, it it i know it's bad that our president is is so stupid and like ignorant but it's very funny it also would be worse if he were as evil as he is now and also highly intelligent i don't know what to think about all that i mean we're not in a good situation when we're debating whether it's better for him to be stupid because it prevents him from being as evil as he wants to be you know it's like oh i'd rather can't we just like get a president who's like a good smart person are there no good smart people we could have elected person (laughs) there are tons incidentally but anyway um so yeah, reading his interviews, I also really did like, all along I've been yearning for someone to ask him to describe how his health plan works. And John Dickerson finally did. And Trump to- like utterly failed to answer the question. It was obvious he, he had no have idea. Any idea. No, he has no idea at all. No idea, not even close. He doesn't, he doesn't even know enough to bullshit. Like, he, he was, it was like he was at sea. All he can say is, he's like, it's very good. John Dickerson, it was a good interview, yeah. and I so that helps. We, all, we all enjoyed the fact that he flummoxed him to the point where Trump kicked him out of the Oval Office, literally. There were so many great interview quotes from Trump, but yeah, that one... I think my favorite was actually when um, John Dickerson uh, talked about a previous president saying that the 
Oval Office, you know, it was it was a tough place because it was round, which uh, left no corners to hide in, which that previous president clearly meant in a figurative sense. And then Trump was like, "It was yeah. W." Oh, was it W? Yeah, uh, the, our our great orator, uh, George W. Bush, and uh, Trump was like, "Yes, there are no corners." It's actually it's actually better than that. Um... All right, you edit out my bad rendition. Oh God! Well, no, but now when he's edit out the forty-five minutes where I try to find the quote, <laughs> <laughs> right, while, you, while while Mike tries to find this quote, I'm gonna talk about what I've been doing to stay sane, which is uh, getting into left-wing conspiracy theories on Twitter. Nice. Um, so there has been uh, a fair amount of chatter, which I freely admit is idle speculation. Um, it originated with a uh, Democratic. Uh, operative named Claude Taylor, who uh, worked in the Clinton White House um, and then was, quote-unquote, confirmed by Rick Wilson, who is a far more well-known Republican operative, um, and a few others, um, who independently reported that they had been told by people in the know that grand juries, multiple grand juries, have been convened in D.C., um, in uh, regards to uh, Trump uh, investigations. Um, They specifically mentioned um, a foreign agent court, um, which is specifically has been convened to um, investigate the Trump-Russia ties. Um, They mentioned a RICO court, which presumably would be to look at all of the um, conflicts of interest and Russian money and could be a potential way to go after Trump himself. And then one that I thought was particularly interesting is there was one report that there is a grand jury that has been convened in New York State by the New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, um, which is another RICO court, um, and that one of the reasons that's being done is to head off the possibility of Trump uh, issuing federal-level pardons to um, to people who could conceivably be indicted. Um, I have been feeling good uh, because of this liberal fantasy of uh, Trump and his cronies being brought up on charges and spending the rest of their lives rotting. In yeah, let's have let's have a little fun. So so who do you think is is being potentially indicted? Like just name one person. That's all I want. Oh well, number one most likely is Carter Page. Oh, you took mine. All right, I'll go. I'll try to have more fun and say Jared Kushner. Ooh, it's not possible. No, it's not. We're just having. We're just speculating. This I'm is keep, still legal for now. I'm going to keep Manafort in the news. Ooh, that's a really. That's yeah, like the dark I, horse. I think that's a strong one. Um, you know, it's also Mike Flynn is. I mean, it's it's a, that's kind of a gimme. <laughs> well, that's the obvious one, so we all avoided that. Yeah. Um, it is fun to speculate. It's it's actually not legal to laugh at Jeff Sessions anymore, but but this kind of true. thing is still legal. He is That's very true. serious. Okay, I found the Oval Office quote, and this is really going to deliver. So John Dickerson says to Trump, George W. Bush said the reason the Oval Office is round is there are no corners you can hide in. And Trump says, well, there's truth to that. There is truth to that. There are certainly no corners. And you look... There's a certain openness, but there's nobody out there. You know, there is an openness, but I've never seen anybody out there, actually, as you could imagine. And then Dickerson, which I don't know what Dickerson must be thinking at this point, like, out where. Um, Dickerson says, but he, what he meant was it's all, it, it all comes. And President Trump says, sure, sure. And Don John Dickerson finishes his sentence, back to you. And Trump says, sure, it does. But I think that's true anyway. But it does. There's no question. So, I mean, if you're so dumb you can't even understand George W. Bush's <laughs> analogy. Maybe it, if, uh, if W. painted him a picture. Oh, Lord. I wonder what, I wonder who he's a expecting to see like these, yeah what, but there's nobody like voices out there in his head like what's what who's out there what's he, what is this i just love there is truth to that there are certainly no corners <laughs> it's like yeah that's not what it, it's like a there's nobody out there just like a who, who are you expecting oh my god this yeah, guy's not real. melania 
Is this no. should I do the should I give us should we do the Civil War one? These these interviews really yeah, are the gift I that mean, keeps on giving. As um as the president, you know, you have to make a lot of difficult calls and I imagine that you spend a, a fair amount of time thinking about what your predecessors in office had to deal with and the difficult choices that they had to make and perhaps what you would have done um, in their stead. And this is clearly something... <laughs> but then sometimes you don't remember who was alive when? Yeah. Well, but this is clearly something that Donald has been doing a lot of. Donald, um, yes. In in relation, in this instance, to the Civil War. Well, Donald has been thinking a lot about the Civil War. And uh, he, we know he loves Andrew Jackson, and so here he is talking about... That's because Steve Bannon loves Andrew Jackson. Uh, Trump says, this is in a separate interview from the one where he didn't understand... Uh, W's metaphor. I mean, had Andrew Jackson been a little bit later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart. He was really, really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. People don't realize, you know, the Civil War, if you think about it, why? People don't ask that question, but why was there the Civil War? Why could that one not have been worked out? That's the quote. And on that note, thanks for listening to Sanity Check. Make sure to join us again next week. And if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at SanityCheckPod.com. And in the meantime, keep resisting and persisting. I do wish someone would write a book about the Civil War. Get to the bottom of that. <laughs>